You are about to listen to Where Your Treasure Is, the podcast where faith and finance meet. Please note that the views expressed are our own and in no way represent any form of financial advice. And remember, investments can go down as well as up. Happy listening. This is the Where Your Treasure Is podcast with Simon and Bex. And this week we are talking all about your first job. Do you remember your first job, Simon? Well, I had a paper round as a young teenager. I laboured quite a bit with my stepdad in his landscaping business. And then when I was a student, I did a bit of waitering work in a cafe bar. But I would say my first real job was actually as a trainee financial advisor working for a friend from church. Uh, What about you, Bex? What was your first job? I had a range of kind of student jobs. I was a debating coach. I worked in a cafe. I did a summer at Edinburgh Fringe Festival. And arguably, I avoided ever getting a quote-unquote real job by working for myself as a freelance translator and copywriter. Your CV sounds just way better than mine. (laughs) I'll take that. (laughs) Let me ask you this question. What did it feel like, I suppose, the first time you earned money for yourself and it, it landed in your bank account? Yeah, it was amazing. I was 18 and suddenly I had a real income for the first time ever. I'd spent so many years as a teenager looking forward to having my own money and being able to spend it on whatever I liked. And that time had finally come. But by then I was also a little bit older. I had the pressure of deciding how to spend this money. And it wasn't quite as freeing as I thought it would be. And there was a whole bunch of money that just seemed to disappear on tax and all sorts of other things. And actually, that's exactly where we're going to start today on tax. Because a basic understanding of tax is helpful when you are earning an income to just really work out how much of it you actually get to keep at the end of the day. Now, tax isn't actually the only deduction that you might see on a payslip, for example, but it can end up being the biggest one. Tax is a contentious issue for lots of people. And in fact, we see in the Bible that tax is talked about as an issue as well. So I've done a little bit of research and I've found 48 references to tax in the Bible. I'm not going to give them all to you, but I will give you a few examples. So there's King Saul who promised to exempt the man who killed Goliath from having to pay tax. Moses imposed a tax on the people of Israel in the wilderness for the tabernacle, which then continued to help pay for the temple. King Jehoiakim had to pay tribute to Pharaoh and he taxed the people of Judah to raise the funds to do so. In the New Testament, there are lots of references to tax collectors who worked for the Romans, taking tax from their own people, the Israelites. And on at least two occasions, Jesus was asked to comment about tax, once about paying the temple tax and once about paying the poll tax to Caesar. Now, I would argue not very strongly, perhaps, that some of those Old Testament tithes also fulfil the same kind of function as some of our modern taxes, equivalent almost to national insurance and paying for basic social security. There was a tax for orphans and widows, effectively. However, back onto our topic of actually income tax, tax you pay on your income, it's just one of over 100 different kinds of tax that we have in the UK, And it makes up about a quarter of the total revenue that's raised by the government every year. And actually, that's a massive number, like 900 
billion pounds at the last count. And then national insurance, which you kind of also see coming off your pay slips, represent another 17%, massive amounts of money. So before we get into even more numbers that I can't get my head around, can you explain why income tax and national insurance are separate? Aren't they both a kind of tax? Yeah, they are both a kind of tax. And historically, they were kept as separate pots of money by the government to spend on different things, actually. Whereas now, they're just all lumped together in government reporting. But they actually are calculated in a very different way. So, according to, you ready, the Office of Tax Simplification. That is straight in at number one as my new favourite office, because tax simplification sounds like a great idea to me. Doesn't it just... So the Office of Tax Simplification in 2016, they reported that national insurance differs from income tax in 84 different ways. What a great bit of research that was. The main ones being that national insurance is only paid on things like employment income, whereas income tax is also paid on things like your savings and your investments and property and dividends uh, that you get from shares. And then National insurance is not paid by pensioners, but it is paid by employers. In short, the differences that have built up over many decades of tax legislation mean that it would be very difficult to merge the two together. And it would inevitably make some people better off whilst making other people worse off. And that's always politically challenging. So let's move on from the history and politics of tax before we go into all 84 ways that income tax and national insurance are different. Let's imagine I've been offered my first job. What do I need to know? I would say one of the most important things that you need to know is how much you're going to get paid. And I don't just mean kind of how much the annual salary you're being offered is, but how much of that money you're going to receive in your payslip, in your bank account, each month. Now, there are loads of calculators online which will help you work this out. But for today's purposes, I'm going to give you some examples. Now, depending on what your first job is, your salary could vary massively. Based on a full-time job at the national minimum wage, you would earn about £18,500 a year. But graduates, depending on what job they're going into and what location, could earn between twenty pounds and £30,000 a year. Now, I'm going to use for today's example a starting salary of £22,570, which may sound high or odd to many, but it makes my maths a lot easier. And I'm guessing you've used such a specific number for a good reason. Of course, as always. We're going to start with something you need to know about, which is called the personal allowance. The personal allowance. Now, this is the amount of money anybody in the UK can earn without paying any tax at all. And this year, the number happens to be £12,570. I see what you did there. So in my example, I've added £10,000 onto that. And the salary we're going to use is £22,570. And then we can kind of do the maths and work out how much they're going to pay in tax and how much in national insurance and how much this worker is going to take home in their payslip on their first month. And depressingly, it's not going to be very easy. We have to consider income tax and national insurance and actually pension contributions as well. And even when in the tax year, they're starting to work. 
And if, like me, you find it helpful to see the numbers written down, we will have all the figures in more detail in the show notes. Absolutely. So we need to know, in the UK, the tax year actually starts on the 6th of April. Haven't bothered finding out why that is the case. It's probably a quiet time of the year for HMRC. And it runs until the 5th of April in the next year. So if your job happens to start on the 6th of April then you have ahead of you a whole year's worth of personal allowance to allocate towards your income. Now, more likely, you're going to start your job on one of the other 364 days of the year, in which case you kind of have to apportion your personal allowance over a shorter period, which means you'll pay less tax, but only for that first year. In future years, your personal allowance is spread out over the whole year's earnings. So we're going to work on the basis of, let's assume the highest tax bill, and we'll assume you start on, well, actually the 1st of April. And the reason I say the 1st of April is because you'll get paid probably at the end of April, and you're going to receive that month one twelfth, one month's worth of your annual salary. And the same will happen every month, and your total salary gets spread over 12 monthly payments. And what happens then is your personal allowance is also spread over 12 pay slips. It isn't the case that the first £12,570 that you earn is tax-free, and then you pay all your tax in the next six months. What actually happens is you get to allocate a twelfth of your personal allowance to each month that you work. And the aim is that you roughly earn about the same amount of money each month through the year assuming your salary doesn't increase partway through the year. And do we have to work it out each month? That's going to get incredibly complicated. Yeah, I wouldn't do it each month. What I'm going to do is basically do it for the whole year and then divide it by 12. Simpler baths anyway. So for our worker, they take their salary of £22,570 and deduct that tax-free amount, the personal allowance of 12570 And that leaves them with a taxable income for the year of £10,000. Excellent. Now, the next step is to work out what rate of tax they will pay. So in the UK, for most people, the first £38,000-ish of taxable income, and that's the amount above the personal allowance now, is taxed at 20%. And that's called the basic rate of tax. So this worker would pay 20% on their £10,000 of taxable income, and that's a £2,000 tax bill over the year. Now, you said most people in the UK, and I know that I'm not most people in this particular example because I live in Scotland, which is arguably the best part of the UK. Absolutely. Controversial. And here we have our own tax rates. So how does that change things? So in Scotland, for the past few years, We don't just have the basic rate of tax. We have got two bonus tax rates called the starter rate and the intermediate rate. Now, I don't remember all these numbers, but it goes like this. The starter rate covers the first £2,162 worth of taxable income. We're in the 22-23 tax year, by the way. And it's taxed at 19%. Ooh, cheaper than England and Wales and Northern Ireland. Excellent. Then we have our own basic rate, which covers the next... £10,956 worth of income. And then we have a 21% intermediate rate for the next £17,974 of income. 
Lots of random numbers there. So if our worker lived in Scotland, they would pay 19% tax on £2,162, which is £410.78p. Then they'd pay 20% tax on actually the remainder of their income. They never become a 21% taxpayer. 20% on 7,838 is the maths, which works out at 1,567 pounds 60p. You add those two numbers together and you get 1,978 pounds and 38 pence, which means our Scott has paid 21 pounds and 62 pence less tax over the year compared to his rest of the UK counterpart. However, once their income starts to rise above that 21% threshold, which is £25,688, they will start paying tax more quickly and very quickly overtake their south-of-the-border fellows. And it gets much worse for Scots if they're earning more than £43,662 because not only do they start paying Scottish higher rate tax a lot sooner... It's also taxed at 41%. rest of the UK is at 40%. But they still have to pay national insurance at the normal UK rate because national insurance isn't controlled by the Scottish government. So we do have to pay for the privilege of living in such a beautiful place. But it is a price well worth paying, Vex. Now, we should speed things up or our episode will never end. Back to our example. Our worker who will pay about £2,000 in tax over the year. And then in addition, they have to pay some national insurance. Now, the amount of national insurance you pay depends on what type of income you earn and how much you earn. For example, employees pay national insurance if they earn more than £242 per week. But the self-employed, only if they make more than £6,725 of profit per year. And you have to pay national insurance if you're over 16, but you stop paying it when you reach state pension age. And we talked about what state pension is a bit in Season 3, Episode 2. So, you don't have to pay any national insurance on the first £12,576 of your income, which is remarkably close to, but not exactly the same as, the personal allowance. And then you pay... 13.25% national insurance up until you get to a bit over £50,000 of income and then you pay 3.25% of national insurance above that. There are no Scottish rates of national insurance so that makes things a bit easier for us but there is something across the UK now called the Health and Social Care Levy. So during the coronavirus pandemic, it became clear that not enough money had been invested in the NHS over the years. And so the government announced a special new levy, not a tax, of course, very important. It's a levy to raise more money for the NHS. And this levy is 1.25%. And it's going to be introduced in April 2023. But to start getting the money in a bit sooner, from April 2022 national insurance rates were raised for both employers and employees by an equivalent 1.25%, but just for one year only. So this year, in our example, our worker is going to pay 13.25% of national insurance on a smidge under their £10,000 taxable income-ish 
And that comes in our example to £1,324.20p, which we add to the £2,000 of tax, and that gets us to £3,324.20p. Are we done now, Simon? Can this person please take their money home now? Nah, not quite, nearly, but not quite. We haven't yet considered pensions. I mentioned last week in our season three pensions episode that all employers are now legally obliged to offer employees access to a company pension scheme. So it's likely that our new employee will have to join a pension as well, or they will want to join a pension. In our next episode of season two, we're going to talk about buying a first home because that has some impact on the decision of whether or not to join or to defer membership of the employer's pension scheme. But the general rule should be to join the pension. There are, unexpectedly, more rules around pension contribution levels, how much the employee has to pay in, how much the employer has to pay in. But let's go with a typical example. The employee may be required to pay 5% of their salary to join the scheme. And if they do, their employer will then put in a further 3%. Well, at least 3%. Some employers will put in more than that. Now, then the employer may choose to calculate your pension contributions only on your salary above a certain level. In this case, it's £6,240 a year. But many employers will just pension your whole salary. So let's imagine our employee earning that magical £22,570 a year, and they're paying 5% into their pension at work. That's £1,128.50p. But one of the great things about your pension is that you don't have to pay tax on the money that's going into your pension. So this employee gets to reduce their tax bill by 20% of the money going into their pension. And that saves them about £225.70 of tax over the year. Now, brief note here, some employers might offer something called salary exchange or salary sacrifice. They're the same thing. This is where the employee voluntarily reduces their salary and then the employer takes that money and puts it straight into the pension for you. Now, the advantage of doing it that way is that the contribution that the employer is now paying on your behalf doesn't have to pay national insurance, which means more money actually goes into your pension and it doesn't cost you anything more. So well worth signing up for that if you're given the option. And Simon, are we nearly there yet? I am losing track of all the numbers. Do we have everything we need now? I think we do. Let's see. We started out with an income of 22,570. Tax was 2,000 pounds, but we got to save 225 pounds and 70p because of our pension contributions. National insurance was 1,324 pounds and 20p, and the pension contributions themselves were 1,128 pounds 50. The total amount that gets deducted from their salary works out to be £4,227 over the year. Their net pay then... And net pay means what's left over after all the deductions have been made. ...comes down to £18,343, which is £1,528 per month. 
Now, if this person had assumed they were going to keep all of their salary, they would have been expecting to receive a twelfth of their annual salary, about £1,880 a month. They only got 1528 So just under 19% of their salary has disappeared before they even get it. Now, of course, all that money that's been taken away, it does go somewhere. It's not only saved up to go into their pension in retirement and to pay for health care in the NHS, all the benefits they get from that. It also goes to pay for all the other services the government provides. According to, and this is going to be our last office of the day. I'm ready to add it to my list. According to the Office of Budget Responsibility. The biggest government spending does go on health and social care. And then it's education, public services, then state pensions, and then welfare and universal credit and defence and lots of other smaller ones after that as well. And that is it. We're done. We've made it. We've taken our money home. Of course, as people progress through their careers, their income position and their pay slips will get more complicated. Your tax code might change. Now, the tax code is the number that tells you how much money you get to keep tax-free. You expect to get pay rises or maybe even bonuses or earn commission. There might be other expenses apart from pensions that your employer decides to put through your payslip. Student loans, if you've got one, payments for those come out of your pay, as would any court orders or child maintenance payments. And then we have sick pay or maternity pay or paternity pay or adoption pay. These can all appear on your payslip as circumstances change. Now, my advice would be, maybe not for every payslip you get every month, but perhaps once a year, check, look at your payslip, make sure you understand everything that's on it and try and work out if the right amount of money is being taken from you. I know from experience that not every employer gets it right every time. And you as the worker, you as the employee, are responsible for making sure that A, you're getting paid what you're due and B, that you're paying the tax and national insurance that you're supposed to. If something looks wrong on your payslip, then raise it with your employer. They might have a human resources, an HR department. If they haven't, um, maybe the payroll team do it or they outsource to somebody else. Someone will point you in the right direction. And hopefully this little bit of knowledge and maybe using an online calculator and experience over time will help you to interpret your payslip and know that you're being paid the right amount. This is one of the episodes that makes me feel like I've been hanging out with Carol Vorderman and I just need to go and lie down in a darkened room for a few hours to recuperate. And I've absolutely no doubt that it will have benefited a number of our listeners, despite all those numbers being thrown about. So where are we heading to next, Simon? Well, I'm now fully expecting that Carol Vorderman's going to send a message in asking if we can have her on the show. But assuming that doesn't happen, next week we will be back into season three and this time talking all about ISA's individual savings accounts. And then we'll return back to season two and consider buying your first home. So whether you are Carol Vorderman or not, if you have questions on the back of today's topic or any of the topics coming up, please do send them in and we'll see what we can do to answer them. 
And we hope you can join us for future episodes of Where Your Treasure Is. Goodbye. Bye. This podcast has been brought to you by Free Range Podcasting. Let us take you where you and your podcast want to go.